please sit back, relax, and join the show. Make sure you do one important thing. Make sure you understand that they are working really hard to do what I do and to do what they love to do. Hey, you look great today. Glad you can make it. If you didn't know already, we're two peeps in a pod. We are a podcast full of free-flowing talks about friendship, life, and culture. We want to create a space where it's okay to disagree and be honest about your opinions. Welcome back to Two Peeps in a Pod. I'm Heather, artist, overthinker, and Charles in Charge. Hello, I'm Lindell, comedian and dad, who is happy that hockey season has started for my kids. Hello, everybody. I'm Mother. I'm a producer here at Two Peeps in a Pod. Uh, I am sad that summer is over or mm. almost over in like a, a week or so or week, two weeks, maybe. I'm not sure. Mm. But anyway, um, sad to see you go. But apple picking season. Hey, oh, so excited. We are now on episode 44. 44. Congratulations and salutations. Hold on. I want to give a shout out to our audience, everybody. We love hearing from all of you guys, etc. Let us know what you think and stuff. Please subscribe and share with a friend. Anyway, um, important question of the week. What is on your mind? Yes. So, you know, we were chatting beforehand about a lot of cool stuff and, you know, we're not going to go through all that cool stuff we were chatting about but it's funny like you know because we recorded and this is what's important to me I just wanted to share this on air so people can hear it like we've been doing this for 44 episodes and when we joined Instagram um, I made a note of a lot of the podcasts that were following us and that we also followed and some of them have stopped recording some of them have already taken breaks some of them have had casting changes some of them have left and came back. And I just wanted to say, you know, I'm just really proud of what we've been able to do over the last 44 episodes, because, you know, it isn't easy doing a podcast weekly, right? There's a lot of things to get in the way. And you two ladies have just been outstanding and just finding the time and, and being super creative. And, and I just want to say, you know, we're a collective and we all do this together. But I at least wanted to say on air that I've noticed the fact that we're doing something that a lot of people can't do. And I, I'm grateful that we are able to do it together with so much harmony. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think we went in, into it with a commitment to just keep making the episodes and not stop, you know, and just keep getting something out there, even when we weren't sure what we wanted to say. I know that it's been a big exploration for me and just finding my voice and being able to talk more because I'm usually a listener and not talker. So it's been a challenge at times, but I think like the most important thing that we realized right at the beginning was we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep making episodes because that's the only way we're going to learn and that's the only way we're going to grow. So so that's a good point. Yeah. We haven't stopped. We just, we keep showing up and keep doing the work. Yeah. Kind of like life. Yeah. Kind of like life. And, you know, who knows what will come from it? I mean, you know, I appreciate mother, you know, asking for interaction for the audience at the beginning of the pod, which is outstanding. And, you know, we get a lot of feedback. Like I go people that text me throughout the week about what they think, you know, some of our listeners. And it's really nice that know me, of course. Um, I'm not giving my number out to any of these weirdos that are listening to us. But anyway, um, you know, you can DM me or DM us. But I'm not, you're not listening. Getting, Oh, no, for sure. But you're not getting my phone number. No, weirdos can DM. Like that's, isn't that the perfect place for weirdos is the DM? Like, am I, am I? 
Am I right with that? I'm like a weirdo. Yeah, but don't trying to I, think what I like, how I like to communicate. <laughs> well, now if you're super weird and you get my phone number, then that's scary. But I'm not one because I used to give out my phone number when I was doing stand up. It was on my. Oh, business that's cards. really dangerous. Yeah. That's well, dangerous. you know, right. So that's what I'm saying. I learned from that. I learned from that. So that's why I had to shut the number down um, for like four years because I kept the same number, but I shut it down for four years and then reactivated it because it was such oh. a dope number. Nine one one. No, no, but um, but yeah, but like, say for instance, like if you had somebody, um, you know, that you didn't want to communicate with you, you know, it's good if it's just in that DM space. That's what I'm getting at. Like, if somebody gets your mm -hmm. phone number, then you got to block them and all that nonsense. There's this actress from DS Nine, actually. Um, I can't think of her name right now, but she gave out her number to fans. Like, she would just give it out to people, and she mm -hmm. was stalked. And this person like found all of her personal information from that. Oh, and she gave out her like actual number. Yeah, and not she gave a out her number actual number. number. Oh. Like she wasn't, she was a, you know, she was a celebrity, but she was kind of a minor celebrity. Right. And it was crazy because this person made like fake uh, dating profiles and just, you know, was like sending out like messages to people to like come to her house and things like that. And she tried to sue, I believe it was like match.com. And basically they told her since she was a public persona, she had no right to sue and she had no right to protect herself whatsoever. Um, hmm. Yeah. And then she actually ended up, she was so broken from that. And then she ended up working for a, um, a like a nonprofit that helps out like former gangbangers and um, in California. And, you know, they were like, what do you have? How can you relate to us? And she's like, I know what it's like to feel scared to go home. I know what it's like to feel afraid. And that's uh, enough. She has a really great story. I can't think yeah. of her name. I wish I could think of her name right now so people could look her up. But if, I guess if you look up like DS9 stocks, something like that in Google, you'll find the story. She has a great TED talk about it. Uh, that's pretty, that's interesting. And it's nice that she, you know, it's funny the ways you can connect with people if you're just being honest about your experiences, right? Because like, let's say if you go help somebody, you're not revealing what you've gone through. And what I'm, I'm here just because I'm better than you. No, like that's something real. If somebody on the street, you know, dealing with gang violence and you say, hey, I know what it's like to be afraid for your for my life. That's 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 being vulnerable and honest and, and putting yourself out there. So that's that's pretty dope. I would not think that that story would help with gangbangers, but it absolutely does. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. And I think it's so powerful to take your trauma and turn it into something that's going to help other people or, you know, take that pain and then say, how can I help people that? are going through something and what can I do to be of service to others when I'm in a horrible place? And she really turned her life around and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really powerful story. I love hearing about people who go through something really awful and come out on the other end with a better mindset, because I feel like I've been in that situation a, a few times where I've kind of fallen on my face and had to pick myself back up again and rebuild. So I, I, I really relate to stories like that. And I also, um, was I also had uh, abuse, like physical abuse um, happened to me and had to come back from that. So, uh, you know, I know what that's like. Yeah, it's a rough world out there for sure. And then when you think about, you know, when you hear those stories and then the trauma that you have within yourself, like how that, it's a good reminder that to use that as a asset, you know, it, it can be, a, it's absolutely, tra trauma is trauma. Like, you know, I would never, Try to compare my trauma to anyone else's but the ideal of using it as an asset for other people going through it that's a beautiful way to make it 
um, a benefit because at that point you're helping someone else and at the same time healing. Right. So like if I'm, if I'm using what my experiences are, um, I'm gonna grow beyond it because now I'm connecting with people. That's why I would say don't suffer in silence and don't suffer alone. Like if you're going mm-hmm. through stuff, find people that are, you know, going through similar traumas because there's a lot to be gained for that type of collective energy and that you can tap into because trauma does want you one-on-one. Like yeah. trauma would love to have you one-on-one. Like, oh my gosh, if you, you know, on those anniversaries of trauma, you know, come around and, you know, it triggers you. Oh, trauma loves it when you're one-on-one. Trauma right. would hate for you to be like, hey, I'm gonna go talk to somebody that has a similar story so that trauma doesn't win this week or this year. Yeah, yeah, because when, when you're a victim of something or you've been through something traumatic, you become depressed, you isolate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's very true. Yeah, and you don't have the energy sometimes to reach out to anybody. It's just no. You just turn inward and then that's what leads to self-destruction, like drinking and drugs and sex, craziness, sex too can be damaging. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sex is, oof. but you know, it's, it's funny, like all devices that are out there, some of them are elevated as like, you know, life killers, but there's a lot of ways to suck life out of your life. Like there's a lot, gambling's another one. Like there's so many vices out there that get triggered based upon these particular traumas that we have. Um, Man, that's pretty heavy. I mean, seeing that you just came back from being away for a week, you know, I mean, anything good to report from that? Like, I mean, you went to your, your first baseball game. No, I've been to a baseball game before. Well, in the state that you went to, I meant to say. Yeah, but actually my first game was a Mets game in New York. So, mm. yeah. We have, we have a, you know what? Big time shout out to Captain Met. He knows who he is. He listens every week, like first thing Sunday morning. He's probably one of our first downloads. His name is Evan. That's how much mm-hmm. I'll give him. But he's a big time Mets fan. Oh. Yeah, he recommended to me to watch the 30 for 30 today. But anyway, your first game was Mets, but then you went to this game. So what was up with that game? Did you enjoy it? Was it fun? I was so miserable when we first got there. <laughs> I was just like, this is hell. I am in hell and I am going to die. And it's just, I... I don't judge people that like sports and I have a lot of respect for athletes because <laughs> the diligence and, you know, just the sheer like force that it takes to be that regimented is incredible to me. But I just, I, you know, I've just said this before, I resent sports so much because so much money gets poured into them and doesn't get poured into the arts or social mm-hmm. programs or things that I care about. So it's just, when we first got there, I was like, I'm going to die. There were so many people and I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. But um, then once we actually got into the game, it was like a lot of fun. And you know, I like, like the Oregon player always plays something like kind of like cheeky for the opposite team. I don't know if that's how all games are, but like when someone comes up to bat, like uh, the, the guy's name was Jesus. So he started playing Jesus just all right by me, by the Doobie brothers, like mm-hmm. stuff like that was kind of funny. Like, and then I started asking my partner like questions about the game and you know just random questions and trying to like get into it and it was you know it was actually it was fun like once I started like paying attention then I was actually like oh I hope they get to second base you know and I would but then I would like space out sometimes but ultimately I ended up having fun and I also discovered something that I really like about myself which is that I can navigate new cities pretty easily like once I go to a new place I know how to like make plans and figure out public transportation and you know memorize the directions to get places and you know I just yeah I think that's a good good skill to have and 
I was glad to see that I can do that. So yeah, it's you know it's 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 funny that you say all that because I went to a game like within a few days of you going to your game, and all the things that you talk about. That's the beauty of baseball, right? Because you can space out and you can just you know you can just do whatever you want to do for that three hours while you're sitting there because you're not missing much most of the time. And then when something happens, you know, they do have most parks now have replay screens so you can see it, but just being there for somebody else that enjoys the game. That's, that's what's dope about baseball. Cause like sometimes people just want to share the experience with people, even if they don't like the game, they just want you to be there to just f- smell the grass, to hear the sounds, the organ player. Cause it's so much going on that people don't realize when you're actually at the game, there's so much going on that something sensory wise will be pleasing to you. And it'll make it be more pleasant than you think it would be, you know, but, um, but it's long. I mean, it's, it's, it's three, it's three hours. My game was four hours, uh, but it was a really good game. It ended with like a walk off and then it got replayed. They had to like go to the replay booth to see if the guy was safe. It was, it was really good. And you know, I got lucky cause I was in a box. So that makes it even better. Cause it's free food, free drinks, all that good stuff. So. Oh, see, that looked fun. I, I could see those boxes and I was like, that looks like that would be Oh fun. yeah. That's yeah. You're going to do it. When, like if you're going to do it to not pay attention to the game that's the place to do it although I'm, I'm when i'm in a box i go early hang out talk to everybody then i go down to the first row of the box all the way over to the right in the corner and i sit in that spot because then you don't have to move and you claim that spot and then everybody that's sitting around you really wants to watch the game if you sit in that third mm-hmm. row where it's like the elevated seats like the high tops then people are talking to you about what's on the tv and all that other stuff and and the TV feed is always like 30 seconds or 45 seconds behind. So you don't be watching that because you'll hear and then you turn. If you're watching TV, you're like, what happened? And you got to wait. So, but yeah, but that's, but I hear you. I feel you with what you're saying about that too. So that's kind of dope. And then you got to navigate a new city. What was some of the, yeah. again, I don't want you to disclose where you went unless you don't feel comfortable with it, but you know, like what was some of the cool things that you got? Gosh, to I just, I really want to talk about some of like the specific things I saw too and, and talk more about like where I went. But I, again, I, you know, I don't know how, you know. Well, well these are your experiences though too, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, like I'm not I, like saying, I'm not saying like, like where okay, she lives. I'm not being like her. Yeah. Address. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But like so, confidentiality doesn't. Yeah. It's, into right. disclosing and I, even, I like posted right. it on instagram too so i was like, gonna say like what are we that's talking stupid. about like you went yeah so, so wait wait hold on before you get started you went mm-hmm. someplace that's worth noting so you didn't tell us last week and then when i saw you post i was like she's gonna have to talk about where she went because there's one place in particular that you went to that you do need to talk about oh yeah i mean yeah so and that was so yeah it was interesting so i went to atlanta and i really wanted to see ebenezer baptist church where martin Word. luther king there you was, go you know his spiritual home so but yeah it was crazy because i i just you know i looked up the directions and i was like well, this, is, this is the first thing we're gonna do that day and you know we're we're walking through the city and then all of a sudden like all the buildings are boarded up <laughs> and there's no one around and you know it was just kind of heartbreaking because you know all around the church are like people who are homeless and you know asking for money and you know, the people of color. And it was just, it was kind of sad. Like I, I had like a, a kind of a sadness there because, you know, it just, it made me think like he had these great ideals and he wanted us to get to a better place. And I just think I was like, what would he think looking at his home now and just seeing that, you know, you you can feel the segregation there. Like you can feel it. And like, that was the home of the Confederacy. And it's just, it, I, I feel it in Chicago too. I mean, it's a very segregated city also, but you could really feel it there. 
but there was still something so powerful about I just like touched the church and then they had a little gift shop so I like bought some things in there and just like tried to support them a little bit um, because it was closed at the time but it was still powerful to be you know to know that he was there and right to try to soak some of that in but it it, it did fill me with a really deep sadness also yeah, because I mean, it's 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 interesting. You know, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta, and I have two cousins that still live in Atlanta. And um, but I used to go down there for my summers. And so when I realized you were going there, I was like, holy, sh-, you know. And you talking about riding a Marta and doing all this other cool stuff. I'm like, listen, here's something that's really interesting about you being there and taking that picture, um, in front of Ebenezer is that it's 2021, and the the things that. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wanted, he still hasn't been attained. And the fact that people tell us that his dream has been fulfilled, it's not true. It's so not true. And they keep trying to get this movie made with Coretta Scott King. And I hope they get it made because she speaks a lot to what his true goal was. So they tell us it was the civil rights movement, like the March on Washington and all that was the pinnacle of what his dream was. And it, it was not. His dream actually has to do with economic inclusion. Because a lot of things that you're seeing and we're seeing in, in these big cities is because we don't have economic inclusion. You know, when we built out all these subdivisions that I now live in, back in the 50s, Black people weren't allowed to even get mortgages through the bank. And the bank was mm-hmm. the FHA, right? So, like, we never had that ability, even though we had the income, to buy some of these properties that in the 70s we could sell at a huge profit to then pay for kids to go to college. So that economic inclusion was always part of his plan. And it was never achieved. So when you say homeless people, it's like, that's by design. You know, we still have Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. We still have a lot of these things that, you know, and I say Jim Crow because Jim Crow was a law that saw black people as liabilities. You know, slavery, we were assets. So you abolish slavery. So we're no longer assets, but we're now liabilities. So you can kill us because, you know, you don't want us to partake in this American dream. And Jim Crow is still happening. I mean, you turn on the news, it's, it's still real. But yeah, you went to a very spiritual place. And so I'm glad you, you know, talked about it because it's, 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 it's important because a lot of times people don't do that when they go to Atlanta. They don't, they don't take the time to go see the significance of what it means to be Black in the South. And I don't know if you did that intentionally, but when I saw that picture, I was like, I know she had to see some shit that will represent what it means to be Black in the South. And growing yeah. up there and having my summers there, it was a big difference. Like when I was in Washington, Georgia, the man's name was John. And I was 16 years old living in Chicago, but I had to call him Mr. John. Mm. Mm. Like, fuck. And I had to because my grandmother lived down there and she took care of Mr. John. And then one lady she took care of would yell out because she used to have slaves. Now I know her. And in her childhood, she had slaves in her gen- and with, you know, when she was a child. And and she would, she had dementia. And at the time, I guess we didn't know what it was. We just thought she was crazy. But she would be yelling for slaves. Oh my like God. It, so how can that happen? And that's the generation where I, I have these stories and I'm 40, I'll be 48 in November. It's like, it didn't happen that long ago. We want to act like, oh, this happened a I million am. years ago. And it's like, and no. Okay, got his dream. He had a dream. And you guys no. got racial equality. That, Fuck that. Yeah, it was just, oh God. Yeah, it was, it was really heartbreaking. I felt really... I felt really down after we went. I that was like when I was looking at like things to do there. Like obviously I knew he was from Atlanta, but I wasn't sure like I I didn't know if you could go to the church or what, you know. So like when I saw that you could actually go there, I was that was like the first thing I wanted to do because I was like I just want to be 
in the same, I want to stand in the same spot where he was. And I just like touched the stone, you know, and just like touched the church and just, I just wanted to like take in some of that, you know, some of his essence, I guess, in a way. And, but yeah, I just, I, I felt, I just, I felt awful. just seeing all these people milling around and, you know, I, I think we were the only white people that I saw in like that, in that area. And just, it was just, I don't know. It was just really, yeah, I just keep repeating myself, but it was just really freaking sad. And I mean, I know that he, I know that Martin Luther King, we didn't even get to like the superficial things that he wanted to accomplish. So I always knew that, you know, we we weren't there, but just, you can't get a more clear picture than being at his, you know, his spiritual home and then seeing people milling around, you know, being homeless and and disenfranchised. Like you'd really, it was just so stark. Right. You know, a a friend of, it's funny, you, I didn't know you had this experience in Atlanta. I was talking to somebody today and he was telling me about, they were in Los Angeles and is, you know, Los Angeles has a extreme homeless issue, right? Like it's homeless people all over downtown LA. And he was talking about, they did a, um, they did some type of expose and people were trying to figure out like what's going on with the homeless people, why there's so many in Los Angeles. And so they went to a certain area and was asking people, tell us a little bit about your story. Like, tell us, you know, what happened? how did you get here? Whatever. And so as they were documenting these homeless people's stories, they found out that it was a large population that was from Tucson, Arizona. Hmm. Like, how is that happening? And what they uncovered was people in Tucson were actually giving people who were homeless there one-way tickets to Los Angeles. Like that's one of the most systematic ways to downtrodden a community because you feel that there's no hope in that community. And like LA is one of those, right? Where like Chicago is probably one of them. So I'm interested, like how many communities might have that as part of their ways of combating homelessness in their community by making sure they go someplace else to be homeless. Like, I don't, Mm. you know, I don't want you to be homeless here and I don't want to help you but I'll make right. sure you're homeless someplace else. So then that way I don't have to deal with you. And I mean, yeah. in a whole nother state, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Tucson, I've been to Tucson also. And there are, there is a, there, I did see a lot of homeless people yeah. and a lot yeah, of people a lot. are asking for money and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, and something that else that I'm not used to because Chicago's cold and I lived in New York, New York would get cold, but in Atlanta, it's warm all the time. And like, I just, I saw people just sleeping in the street. Yeah. And there were a few times where I was like, are they alive? Like, what is going on? You know, and it was just so disturbing and sad. And yeah, I don't see that in Chicago. Like people, you know, hole up somewhere. They have to like, you know, stay at a tent or something like that. But literally people were just like laid out on the, on the sidewalks. So well, they used to they used to do that back in the day. But now the way they police downtown because they used to sleep on the grates of the vents for the train. Oh, that makes sense. So because you get the heat from the train coming out because the tunnels were hot. Yeah, no, it used to be real bad back in the day. That's how I know I'm dating myself. Like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, because I remember the homeless when the homeless shelter used to be downtown. It used to be two blocks from Chicago Hilton and Towers. They cleaned that shit up. But it was one of the biggest homeless shelters. It was on the south side of the loop south loop mm. but i don't know what it is now but it used to have like a jesus saves us or something mm. cross out out front of it but yeah i'm not used to seeing that but yeah i mean i see people out in the streets but not in that capacity so it was, yeah. it was pretty stark but i i don't know i still have hope for this country i really do it's hard sometimes though it really is 
final thoughts. Hi, everybody. We're back with final thoughts. So we actually had a very interesting conversation. So we're actually going to not only going to have one question and then we're going to pick up where we were during our intermission break. All right. So mother's first question is tell us why this person in your life feels the way he does. All right, go. Oh, I see. Go ahead, Heather. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have it. I, I guess I've never like asked. Well, let's uh, get some context. But I mean, I, you know, he's lived in a major city for a long time. Um, I know that he's an educated person. Like he's, you know, he knows his stuff about everything like history and politics and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know though. I, I don't know. I guess we've never like talked about it in depth. It's just something I've noticed. Well, and... I think, I think we're not telling people what we're talking about. So oh. I think, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like some context. So during the break, oh, what, what happened was we were talking about, um, like, I know your history. And then you said you were comfortable going to Ebenezer, you know, even though it was the demographic is skewed different than who you are. Right. That's a nice mm -hmm. way of saying it. Right? right. And you was like, and obviously, and then I said, uh, no, I'm not going to like, I've been on this kick and this tear with anybody that's white around me lately, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that they're not sharing their point of view without telling me why they don't, they're not biased. Because a mm -hmm. lot of times people try to share the belief that they think I want to hear, even though I know they're biased. So he's like, obviously he's not. It's like, no, I, I'm not going to assume he obviously he's not. I would have, and, and then the question came, I was like, I would love to know why he isn't. So I feel like if people are going to say, oh yeah, I'm not racist. Okay, then tell me why you're not. Because the, the system's designed for you to actually be racist, to be yeah. honest. I really, I can't speak, I can't speak for him. No, yeah, no, but I agree. I just have noticed that about him and I know, you know he's lived in major cities and just how he treats people. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, he just treats everyone equally and, you know, just even like uh, this guy on the plane, like black guy, like sitting by us, like drop something. It's like, oh, let me get that. And then he couldn't reach it. You know, and it's just like, he's right. just not like, I can just, uh, maybe I just, I've become, I, I'm just aware of when people are, are, afraid of people of color i just i can sense it and maybe it's because i've spent my time in black communities i don't know why it is but i'm very attuned to that and i would not be able to date someone who's white without them having that understanding and without them showing me that they're not afraid and just it would it would be really disheartening to me and like even when we were at ebenezer too uh, there's a guy who wanted some water and we didn't have any and went in the gift shop and like bought him a, a water and like ran it out to him and like I mean it's just he just I've just seen the way he treats people right and I that's that's like a a hundred percent a need for me like for a long time I didn't want to date white men because I felt like they're not going to understand so much about you know just oppression and about the way the world actually works so for a long time I just thought all white men were stupid and I was like I'm not going to date them because they're idiots and they don't you know they're privileged and have no awareness so um you know he's been a welcome breath of fresh air in that way 
And see, and that's my take is I love the idea that, you know, if we're really going to have a racial reckoning, I, I think more people need to share stories like that because I'm not just going to assume people get it anymore. Like, I'm not going to assume, no. obviously, because, because like sometimes people come to me and be like, uh, there was a guy uh, at hockey who was like, yeah, you know, he said something about Greek people. And I was like, oh, well, what do you have to say about black people? Like, I don't want to play these games anymore with anybody. Like, you know, because you're Greek, you're going to grow up to be this. Like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to participate in anything like that. Because if we're going to have a true reckoning, then we're going to stop labeling people. And we're going to be honest about why we're doing it. You know, and 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 hearing that, yeah, I would say odds are, yeah, right? Odds are, he's not, which is great. But if I hear somebody like that's white, because like people assume because I'm, you know, the boy's mom is white and I live in a white community that I like white people. Let me be crystal clear, guys. I don't. I don't. I have to live with them. I have to get along with them. But oh, 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 no, I don't. I feel more comfortable with the people that look like me who have sensibilities like mine. It's but that's strange everybody. But that's I, everybody. And, and if uh, we can be honest about that, because honestly, if I had the abilities to have privilege after what I've been through, I would fucking use the shit out of it. I really would wholeheartedly. And I it's tell people that all the time, wholeheartedly. And I think that's where we need to start. Mm. We got to start being honest and we can't just keep playing this whole, oh, because you're around people, you like them. No, 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 that's not true. Yeah, no, I mean, I I feel that way too, honestly. And I, I feel a lot of animosity towards other white people. And I... It's sometimes it's hard to reconcile in in a way, but it's not at the same time. It's not because all the things I've seen throughout my life and sometimes I feel, you know, like I, I love black culture so much and, you know, and I've, I've gotten the privilege to, you know, be accepted into some, you know, spheres where I'm the only white person and I've really enjoyed those times. And it's not, I don't want to, I don't know. I, I I don't know what I'm trying to say. That I I think about this all the time and how I you know I'm always like oh stupid white person you know and I'm like wait I'm white <laughs> like okay right. like let's well, take and, a second and let me be you clear, know I don't I don't do that because I think so I, I that's your experience I just want to make sure mine steps <laughs> I don't want people to think I'm going out and going stupid white people I don't well do and that. I I don't want to do I don't necessarily want to do that and because I don't again, like, I, I think we're all individuals. And I, like you right. just said, I don't want to label people. And I, you know, and I really, I hate when there's this blanket, like, oh, white men do this. And, you know, white people this, I hate that shit. I really do. But at the same right. time, in my mind, I do have that thought a lot where I'm just like, or I just assume certain things. It was, it's funny, actually, on the wire, because uh, I'm rewatching that. And there's a scene where McNulty's in a, like a smaller district in, um, in Washington and he's talking to this white police officer and he says something racist because he thinks that he'll get that police officer on his side because he needs him for the case and then the police officer's black wife comes out and gives him a kiss and he's like oh you should meet my partner Kima you know and so like he, he goes and gets Kima like because she's you know actually that actress Sonia sound is mixed race she's Korean. yeah she's biracial or, or mixed um, yeah, biracial yeah she's beautiful um but anyway it's just you know like we can't assume things about people just because of the way they look. We just, we can't right. like, and I, I really want to get away from that. And I, I don't want to feed into the whole blanket statements about whole races because that's just totally ludicrous. Totally I agree. Ludicrous. I agree. And I, and I think my take is 
I, I understand that, you know, I, I want to get to know people as people, but I hate for people to assume that I'm, I'm trying to assimilate into a certain race just because of where I live and like the sports I choose to play. And, you know, I'm a big hockey fan. And so people just, oh, you're assimilating. No, no, I love black culture a whole lot. And, and the reality is, is that those two things can be true when you're seeing people as human beings. So don't assume just because, you know, I told the story about the white guy who said he lost his black friend, you know, he hadn't seen me in a while and I told him he lost his black friend. And, and you know, I've got plenty of friends that are close friends that are of many different races because I want to get to know people, but I don't want people to assume that I want to be like any of them. I don't want my Dominican friends, my Costa Rican friends. I don't want any of them to think I want to be anything like them because I don't. I love myself enough to know that I want to be around people that grew up like I grew up as much as I possibly can, because that feels like home. That's interesting because I also, I don't hate my whiteness, obviously. And I don't, I don't know a lot about my background just because my, you know, my family, they came over to America. They kind of got rid of a lot of their heritage in general. Like I know my grandmother was German. She, she made like German dishes and held on to a little bit of that, but I don't have a lot to hang on to in that way. And, you know, when I was a kid, I would always like glom onto other cultures and just because I was, I was always leg legitimately fascinated. But I also, you know, I, I don't, I also don't want people to think that I'm like trying to be black or that I'm trying to, um, you know, uh, take, take away from that culture, or, like claim it as my own. Um, because I do think it's part of America and I, I do feel connected to the, to black culture, but I also, sometimes I feel like I don't want people to look at me and be like, oh, she's um, like, she's trying to suck up or, oh, she's trying to take something that's not hers. So I, I don't know. I just want to put that out there. Thank you for listening. To help us grow the pod, please rate, review, and subscribe on all major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. If you can't get enough of us, email us at twopeepspodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at two peeps and a pod. And this is Mother inviting everyone to share our podcast with your family, your neighbors, and your cat, whose best friend is a dog next door. We love you so much. See you next week. Word. Hosts, Heather and Lindell. Graphics by... Susan Holton. Music by Heather E.G. Voiceover by Two Peeps. Editing by Mother. Produced by Downtown Media Works, LLC.